Good morning. It is my extreme honor again today to read scripture. We'll be reading from St. Matthew's Gospel, chapter 7, beginning in verse 13 and going through 23. I'll be reading from the ESV. Enter by the narrow gate. For the gate is wide and the way is easy that leads to destruction. And those who enter by it are many. For the gate is narrow and the way is hard that leads to life. And those who find it are few. Beware of false prophets who come to you in sheep's clothing, but inwardly are ravenous wolves. You will recognize them by their fruits. Are grapes gathered from thorn bushes or figs from thistles? So every healthy tree bears good fruit, but a diseased tree bears bad fruit. A healthy tree cannot bear bad fruit, nor can a diseased tree bear good fruit. Every tree that does not bear good fruit is cut down and thrown into the fire. Thus, you will recognize them by their fruits. Not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven, but the one who does the will of my Father in heaven. On that day, many will say to me, Lord, Lord, did we not prophesy in your name? Did we not cast out demons in your name? Did we not not do many wonderful things? Things or mighty works in your name? And then I will declare to them, I never knew you. Depart from me, you workers of lawlessness. This is the inerrant and infallible word of God. As we turn to Matthew's gospel once again, and we near uh, the end of our time in um, looking at the Sermon on the Mount, as you heard those red-letter words, Jesus' words read to us just now, I'm sure you noticed, as I do, that Jesus ends this sermon uh, with a prolonged warning, not an altar call. Did you notice that? Why? I mean, why why are there not multiple stanzas of just as I am uh, toward the end of the greatest gospel sermon ever preached on planet Earth? And and I know you're already thinking, well, it's because it hadn't been written yet, and you're right about that. Uh, but don't mess with my uh, word pictures here, all right? Um, why is there not a pleading from Jesus to the multitude on that hillside overlooking the Sea of Galilee uh, to, to, to pray a certain prayer, a, a sinner's prayer, or, or, or an invitation to just sort of raise your hand kind of timidly while everybody else has their eyes closed? Why, why is that? 
because the gospel's invitation to sinners is not only a kind welcome, uh, it is also a clear warning. And I, and I wonder this morning, did you, did you hear the Savior's kind welcome? Enter through the narrow gate. You who are listening this morning, you enter. Enter into the kingdom of heaven. And if you're to enter into the kingdom uh, that is a kingdom of forgiveness from your sin and friendship with God, you must enter through just one gate. And that is the gate of repentance and faith in Jesus Christ. And I wonder this morning, did you already hear the king's clear warning? The gate is not only narrow, narrow as the cross of Jesus. The way is constricted that leads to life. It's difficult. It's hard. In what sense? Well, it it is so difficult that it is impossible to journey apart from dependence on the Holy Spirit. The gospel way is the way of true allegiance to Christ. It, It is the way of obedience to King Jesus as energized by the Holy Spirit. The way of glad surrender to Christ as King from the heart a genuine profession of faith then is always accompanied by a willing practice of allegiance to Jesus. Says who? Says Jesus. Says the king. This this is the gospel according to Jesus. And there is no other gospel. The waters of baptism in our second service will picture this beautifully. Think of what happens in baptism. A person stands before a crowd like this and says, you know what? By God's grace, I've come through the narrow gate. I've repented of my sin. I'm trusting in Christ alone for my salvation. He is God, the eternal son who came into this world of his, messed up as it is by sin, and he lived out the very righteousness of God for me. And then that life, he took that life all the way to Calvary's cross where he bore the wrath of God for my sin. Oh, how I need this Jesus. He died on that cross for me and he was buried and he rose again in the power of an endless life and a life he shares with me as I cling to him. That's that's the narrow gate. Have you entered through the narrow gate? And baptism is a picture of a washing, isn't it? And a rising again to a a new life. A genuine profession of faith in Christ is, is always accompanied by a willing practice of following Christ. And let me just say, um, all of that is a review from last week. It does not count against my time. If if you if you've already checked your watch, just start it over. Um, Because this morning, we're going to turn now to our king's warnings about those who uh, would point us to the the, the wide gate. Those who would appease us by pointing to the broad way that leads to destruction. And there are many false prophets 
in our age just as there have always been throughout the church age. Frankly, throughout human history as we'll see in the Old Testament here shortly. Look at, look at verse 15 of Matthew 7. Again, the words of Jesus. Beware of the false prophets who come to you in sheep's clothing, but inwardly are ravenous wolves. You will know them by their fruits. Note that. False prophets are those who herald the, the wide gate, uh, the, the easy, broad way of thinking and living any old way the natural man wants to think and live. That is the way that leads to destruction. And because their message always sounds true, because it always sounds true, it always has the ring of churchiness to it, the false prophets themselves must be tested. Now, I want you to notice that in the text. Just look at your Bibles for a moment. Um, Jesus sets out here not a doctrinal test. Now, we do see that elsewhere in Scripture. We're, We're to test the teaching itself. But here, notice that Jesus says, you know, I want you to, this is more or less an an ethical test. Profession must be tested by practice. You will know them by their fruits. So just try to think of it this way. What do you suppose are the most destructive sins that have plagued humanity? Maybe just the ones in our age, in our lifetimes. Think of what comes to your mind. We're not going to dwell on this. Murder, idolatry, adultery. What, What sin makes your list of worst sins? As if there is such a thing. There isn't. Do you realize what Jesus is saying here? Among the most dangerous sins plaguing humanity is a willingness to listen to the wrong messengers talking to us about God. Is that on your list? A willingness to listen to the wrong messengers talking to us about God. I I wonder, is there any single sin that has derailed the lives of more young people, destroyed more marriages, split more churches, than not taking seriously Christ's warning in these few words we're looking at this morning. We are not to listen to people who don't tell us the truth about God. And some of you here know what it is to listen to such messengers. And your lives bear the scars of that. God doesn't care if you're holy. He just wants you to be happy. Live how you want. Put a Jesus fish on it. Do you have one of those? And it'll be fine. God is love. He's not going to punish anyone eternally in hell. You really really believe that? Your sin is really a sickness. In fact, you shouldn't feel guilty about your sin at all. Um, you've got a disease, that's what it is. And, and, you know, we have a support group for that. We have medication for that. Isn't that funny? This is a cancer among God's people. You're not even responsible for your sin. You know whose problem it is? It's your parents. It's that school you went to. 
It's the environment you grew up in. Think of where these kinds of teachings lead, Jesus says. You will know them by their fruit. And that phrase, we're just going to squeeze that one phrase quite a bit in the next few moments. Where will it take us? Here's the, here's the thing. False prophets' messages ultimately lead to a life that indulges self. As opposed to what? As opposed to a life that glorifies God. You will know them by their fruit, says the king. Now, uh, notice with me the word beware in verse 15. We're making very good time, aren't we? We're at the first word of our text. Beware of the false prophets. Watch out. The, the, The Greek word prosecho means to pay close attention. Take care who you listen to. Hold your mind away from the messages of false prophets. A prophet, as you know, is someone who speaks for God. Jesus here is not referring to you know, those who, who claim to foretell the future. He's talking about those who claim to represent God, who speak for God. So a false prophet is someone who claims to speak for God or represent God, but in fact he does not. He is actually an enemy of the gospel. She is actually an enemy of the church. And they're wolves in the sense that they're very active among the sheep. Did you notice that in the text? They're in and among God's people. And they are hungry to use the sheep for their own selfish purposes. You say, well, that that sounds kind of serious. It is. What makes these false prophets especially dangerous, says Jesus, is that they look and speak in so many ways just like the rest of the sheep. They blend in fairly easily in the flock of God's people. Are you hearing this? They come to you in sheep's clothing, Jesus says. What's that picture really saying to us? They quote the Bible. They speak of Jesus. Maybe they went to a seminary. Maybe they're missionaries. What they say always has some ring of church to it. It sounds churchy. What is false about them is not necessarily even their words, says Jesus, but the life their message produces. You will know them by their fruits. False prophets' lives do not match God's truth. I was reading um, with respect to this passage um, something that one of the Gospel Coalition's writers had put together, and I think I'm I'm just going to quote from it because he says it better than I can. So here's a fellow named Joe Carter who is a pastor in Virginia. He says this, he says, wolves often look like sheep, so to spot a wolf, we can often look at what values and qualities are esteemed by a particular religious community. In Jesus' day, outward religiosity was prized, so the wolves looked like legalists, the scribes and the Pharisees. And in the early post-apostolic age, secret knowledge was valued, 
So wolves took the form of learned Gnostics. They're always, always giving you the secret handshake, right? The values of the evangelical community in America today are diverse, so it's not surprising we have a broad diversity in the species of wolves we encounter. In our own age, he says, health and wealth are precious. So some wolves take the form of preachers selling a prosperity gospel. We also seek to change the world for the better, so some wolves take the guises of social justice or family values advocates, end quote. Now, I think that pretty well sums it up, wolves in sheep's clothing. Among the most popular false teachers in our day are Joel Olstein and his wife, Victoria. I'm going to name names in this, by the way. They speak to untold millions around the world from that church in Texas. And they've got Bibles in their hands sometimes. Um, But their message is really all about how you can get God to serve you. And I want to love you enough, those of you who have that stuff streaming into your living room, because he's such a nice guy. And you're living by yourself, and it gets kind of lonely And who doesn't want to listen to a really nice guy? Beware, says the king. Beware. Verse 16, you will know them by their fruits. Are grapes gathered from thorn bushes or figs from thistles? See how simple this is? A few years ago, Pam and I lived uh, up on a hill, and we had a yard that had uh, fruit trees in it. We didn't plant them. We just got to benefit from someone else planting them years prior. And we had red apples and green apples and pie cherries and bing cherries and all of this stuff. And and it was absolutely wonderful um, as long as you got to the fruit before the the birds or the worms, right? Which means you got to be quick. Um, but, But, you know, I don't know much about growing stuff at all, really. But one thing I did notice is that the cherry trees always produce cherries. I mean, not perfect cherries, some of the cherries seemed a little bit malformed, misshapen. Uh, some, some of them never really seemed to reach maturity. There was great variety among the types of cherries that showed up on those trees, but the thing of it is is the cherry trees never produced apples, and the apple trees never produced cherries. And so Jesus says to us here, the kind of person you are spiritually from the heart shows itself in the fruit, the, the, the choices you make, the appetites that you have, the life that you live day by day. And so the first thing we're to test in any messenger, says Jesus, is the kind of life they live. Saying right things in and of itself does not validate a messenger. Spiritual messengers must be tested by the kind of lives they live. So here is a text that says, hey, with respect to false prophets, false teachers, sometimes what is false is not the message itself, but the messenger himself or herself. So so you ask yourself, what kind of life does their message produce in themselves and in other people, those who follow them? You still with me? There's an example of this um, in Paul's 
letter to the church in Corinth. In 1 Corinthians, um, you, you recall the Corinthian church was a church infiltrated by false shepherds, false prophets, wolves among the sheep. Some of the wolves sought to discredit uh, the gospel labors of Paul and, and his co-workers. And so Paul lets the church know in that what we call 1 Corinthians, that letter, uh, hey, I'm, I'm going to come and um, visit you all, and, um, but I'm not going to give a doctrinal test. I'm not going to give a Bible quiz. Your, t- your teachers will do just fine with that. I- I'm going to measure your teachers by the fruit that is born in their lives. 1 Corinthians 4, 19, but I will come to you soon, says Paul, if the Lord wills, and I shall know not the words of those who are puffed up, but their power. Not the words, but their power. For the kingdom of God does not consist in words, but in power. What in the world is he talking about? He's saying that the kingdom of heaven is not just to do with fine words, gospel-sounding words, but power, power to change because it's the power of the Holy Spirit that brings about the change in the life of a sinner who has met Jesus Christ. Power to live a Godward life. And yes, sometimes our fruit does seem small, doesn't it? And sometimes it does seem a bit malformed and misshapen. And and sometimes we wonder, will it ever mature? But that, that isn't the issue. Because the truth has invaded the child of God. The the one who is the way and the truth and the life, when you encounter this Jesus, you don't stay the same. And so by God's grace, we begin to think differently and we begin to love different things than the world loves. And we begin to live in very different ways from the person who is apart from Christ. Amen? So here's a takeaway. False professions of faith do not transform lives spiritually. And so Jesus loves us enough, loves his church so much that he says, I want you to beware of false prophets. You'll know them by their fruit. I wonder, church, you still listening? I I wonder... How many false priests do we have in some American Christian homes these days? Husbands and fathers called of God to be priests to their families. They say all the right things at family Bible time and they say wonderful words as they're praying to their dinner plate. Uh, But the private life of the man in the home knows nothing of the tenderness of repentance. He claims to know Jesus and he can quote chapter and verse Uh, but he looks nothing like the Jesus who came not to be served, but to serve his people, to give his life for his family, if you will. You you see, it's the weak man who quotes chapter and verse to manipulate his family simply to serve his selfish purposes. And guys, those of us who, by God's grace, are learning to walk with Jesus when we see that fella in our small group and we see that fella at the men's breakfast. God would have us in tenderness 
and in prayer approach such a man who professes to be a brother in Christ and say, you know what? Uh, that that is not the you, you, that's not the template of the gospel that we're given in Scripture. There's always the danger of these things being practical and personal. Verse sixteen: You will know them by their fruits. Are grapes gathered from thorn bushes or figs from thistles? Even so, every good tree bears good fruit, but the bad tree bears bad fruit. So, so, so we're meant to ask ourselves things like this. Does this teacher's message produce godliness? Or, or does it produce religious selfishness? Exhibit A, again, would be the scribes and Pharisees of Jesus' day. Extremely religious. Everybody who saw those guys would have said, hey, there there go the people who really, really have this church thing figured out. And Jesus called them what? Whitewashed tombs. Rotten on the inside. The religious leaders of Jesus' day were always looking for ways to spiritualize a lifestyle that was essentially self-centered. And this had always been an obstacle for God's people. And it continues to be an obstacle for God's people today. Listen to um, Deuteronomy 13. Some of you read this this week as was suggested. If a prophet or a dreamer of dreams arises among you and gives you a sign or a wonder and the sign or the wonder comes true concerning which he spoke to you, saying, let us walk after other gods whom you have not known and let us serve them, you shall not listen to the words of that prophet. Sound familiar? For Yahweh your God is testing you to find out if you love Yahweh your God with all your heart and with all your soul. You shall walk after Yahweh your God and fear him and you shall keep his commandments, listen to his voice, serve him and cling to him. But that prophet or that dreamer of dreams shall be put to death because he has counseled rebellion against Yahweh your God who brought you from the land of Egypt and redeemed you from the house of slavery to drive you from the way in which Yahweh your God commanded you to walk. So you shall purge the evil from among you. Now I just ask you, does it seem like God took that seriously? in the lives of his ancient people, Israel? And and he says to us still today, do not listen to those who counsel rebellion against God. Stop listening to teachers whose self-centered lives betray the destructive deception of their message. You will know them by their fruits. A few years ago, there was quite a stir um, created by uh, um, a woman named Rachel Hollis. Do you know that name? Some of you know that name. Um, she, she wrote a book called Girl, Wash Your Face. And um, it's an immensely popular book. Um, the, the, the subheading on the book was Stop Believing the Lies About Who You Are So You Can Become Who You Were Meant to Be. Now, that sounds really good, right? I mean, 
that's why they put those kinds of titles on books. It makes you want to buy them. And, and in the book, she mentions Scripture. Um, she quotes Scripture. She mentions Jesus. She, 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 she speaks of her own Christianity. She spe- speaks of her faith. Um, b- but her message is utterly self-centered. You're meant to be the hero of your own story, she writes. You should be the very first of your priorities. She writes about taping on her door the cover of of, uh, Forbes magazine that that featured uh, self-made female CEOs, uh, a vacation home in Hawaii, and a picture of Beyonce. And I want want you to just think about that message because some of you are going, well, what's wrong with a vacation home in Hawaii? Well, on the surface, nothing. But just think about the the not-so-subtle message here. Her goals of status and materialism and fame, uh, even though they're cloaked in a a kind of Christianized message, are decidedly anti-gospel. And some of you might be thinking, well, come on, Pastor, you're, you're, you're an older fellow now, and, and that, that book is way past its expiration date. That was is quite a few years ago. Listen, Hollis's podcast today, today has over 100 million downloads. 100 million downloads. She is an influencer among influencers. Jesus never called us to chase after power and money, and fame, self-fulfillment. He calls us to take up our cross and follow him. The apostle Peter warns the church this way. He says, but false prophets also arose among the people, just as there will also be false teachers among you who will secretly introduce destructive heresies even denying the master who bought them, bringing swift destruction among themselves. And many will follow their sensuality, and because of them, the way of the truth will be maligned. Because of them, the way of the truth will be maligned. What is the Holy Spirit through Peter saying about following their sensuality? Well, a sensual life is simply an earthly life, an an utterly earthbound, um, earth-valued life. And so here is a warning that a false teacher's message often leads to a life of license. You will know them by their fruit. It's a self-indulgent life that is outside the boundaries of God's best for his people, the life that is actually described for us in the law of God. By the way, that's why a false prophet, a false teacher, uh, very rarely says anything that is offensive to the natural man. His message comforts and soothes, but but never warns of judgment. You say, well, good heavens, it's it's Father's Day. Haven't you checked the calendar? And I've come here on the invitation of a friend or a child, and I've come here to be encouraged, and, and now I'm getting the beat down about who I listen to on the radio and the podcast and all of that sort of thing. Listen, Jesus says 
with respect to his kingdom, beware of those who point you to the wide gate, those who affirm for you the winsomeness of walking along the broad way that leads where? To destruction. To destruction. I can't think of a more loving thing to say. Jeremiah 6, God describes this, this phoniness in the religious leaders of ancient Israel. He, he says, for from the least of them even to the greatest of them, everyone is greedy for gain. And from the prophet even to the priest, everyone practices lying. They have healed the brokenness of my people superficially, saying, peace, peace. But there is no peace. How how sad it is still in our day that that you you can listen to some um, um, Christianized um, podcasts or or hear some very popular authors and speakers saying basically, look, everything's going to be fine. As long as you said that sinner's prayer when you were a little kid, you're good to go. That is not the gospel according to Jesus. They make no call to repentance. They say nothing of a narrow gate. They say nothing of a a difficult way. Again, difficult because it cannot be lived out apart from the presence of the Spirit of God. Peace, peace. Yet you have peace with God. You're just fine, they say. Though you live a life that wars against what pleases Him. No one has peace with God who lives a life that wars against what pleases God. You will know them by their fruit. Again, says the prophet Jeremiah, were they ashamed because of the abomination they have done? They were not even ashamed at all. They did not even know how to feel dishonor. Now, I ask you this morning, how relevant is this still to our day, do you suppose, that the teaching of our time? Did, did it make anyone blush when churches sponsoring the so-called pride rally downtown earlier this month, daring to attach the cross of Jesus to affirm the most depraved living in our community. Inviting that depravity into the pulpits of apostate churches. They were not at all ashamed, says Jeremiah. They did not know how to blush. Men, listen. Happy Father's Day, by the way. Listen. Um... We're meant to be the gatekeepers in our families. The watchmen on the walls protecting our wives and our children. You say, oh, that's old-fashioned. No, that's the word of God. And one of the prevailing heresies of our day is that which wraps the gospel of the kingdom in the American flag. one of the prevailing heresies of our day. Conservatism without Christ. 
And it plays really well at men's events because you can wear your camo and you can strap on your gun and it's all to do with patriotism and personal liberty and gun slinging. It's all being mass marketed to the church as if these are gospel imperatives, as if the very future of the kingdom of God depended upon preserving those traditional values that we have in America. And, and, it's, and it's a very macho thing today, still. You, know, you, you, you wear your MAGA hat and you, and you walk with a swagger and, and you tip your hat to Jesus for the sake of the Republican Party. And, I, and, I, and I, that is not the gospel way. And you realize the strongest man who ever lived, Jesus of Nazareth, didn't walk with a swagger. And Jesus didn't call anyone to worship their country instead of God. How shameful it is then to have in some American churches pushing a candidate today as if he were a Messiah. And friends, I'm going to love you enough to tell you that we should be repenting of that, not celebrating that or laughing at it. This is an offense to God. Again, you test the practice. You test the life. You shall know them by their fruit. Are the people who follow this teacher made more like Jesus or less like Jesus? That's, that's the test. Why? Why is that such a test? Because it takes the new birth. It takes the indwelling spirit of God to produce the fruit that Jesus speaks of at the end of this Sermon on the Mount. The false teacher doesn't have that. The best he can do, the best she can do, is produce a life that looks religious or sounds churchy, make, makes a show of morality, but it won't last because it's absent the Spirit of God. Verse 18, a good tree cannot bear bad fruit, nor can a bad tree bear good fruit. Every tree that does not bear good fruit is cut down and thrown into the fire. A, a, a good tree, the, the genuine believer, and again, bearing fruit, perfect fruit? No. Some of it malformed, some of it a bit bruised, some of it a worm or two. Yeah, but it's fruit. It's growing. A bad tree, a Judas branch of the true vine, as in John 15, cannot produce good fruit. So the broad way that leads to destruction is crowded with people then who use the right words and yet live the wrong life. You will know them by their fruit. What, what's good fruit then? What's good fruit? Well, first of all, it's the fruit that springs forth. Think of the Beatitudes that springs forth from a repentant heart. Blessed are the poor in spirit. Blessed are they who mourn. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness. They shall be filled. John the Baptist 
went around preaching this, therefore bear fruit in keeping with repentance. Here is John the Baptist, a true prophet, pointing to Christ. And he says, the axe is already laid at the root of the trees. Therefore, every tree that does not bear good fruit is cut down and thrown into the fire. And, I, and I'm sure you notice with me that Matthew 7, 19, uh, Jesus quotes verbatim the message the Father spoke through John the Baptist. And, and, and when people heard John the Baptist, they, they, they went around saying, well, what, what should we do? And he would answer and say to them, the man who has two tunics is to share with him has none. And he who has food is to do likewise. And tax collectors also came to be baptized and they said to him, teacher, what should we do? And, and he said to them, collect no more than what you have been ordered to. And soldiers were also questioning him, saying, what should we also do? And he said to them, do not take money away from anyone by force or, or extort anyone and be content with your wages. In other words, the fruit in keeping with repentance is a life that is being changed by the Spirit of God. The selfish are now becoming more and more selfless. That's a work of the Spirit. The, the greedy are now becoming more and more giving. That's a work of the Spirit. That's not native to us by birth. The discontent are now becoming more and more content in Christ because they belong to the Father who only gives good things to His children. They rest in their Father's goodness. And Paul said to the Galatians, but the fruit of the Spirit is love. Joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. Against such things there is no law. Now those who belong to Christ Jesus crucified the flesh with its passions and desires. So again, you, you look at the life that's produced by the teachings that are presented. John Calvin said this of, of this passage, and I, and I didn't start with this because it kind of sums up the whole message, which means it would have had to be a lot shorter. But um, Calvin says this. He says, nothing is more difficult than to counterfeit virtue. <laughs> the true gospel demands too much for the, for the person who is not indwelt by the Spirit of God. It demands more than any person has within themselves. So when God's divine provision, God's divine power are absent, the, the, the heart of that person, um, the, the, the charade cannot last long. So then, verse 20, you will know them by their fruits. You will know them by their fruits. Don't give your time and attention to those who use the word of God to promote a life that goes against the word of God. Don't listen to those who use the word of God to promote a peace with God that leaves you just as worldly as those who don't know Jesus. You will know them by their fruit. 
Well, that's it. Let's pray. Father, we thank you so much for your great love for us that you would speak what is best for us this day. And so, Lord, I pray that you would take your word and implant it in our hearts as only you can. Give us ears to hear your truth. Lord, let us be deaf to those who are false messengers, though they come all dressed up as your people. And Lord, I pray that you would do a work of purifying us as your people as we become less and less willing to listen to those who are peddling lies. And Lord, I thank you so much that by your spirit, you produce the love and peace and joy and temperance and kindness of Jesus himself in your people. Lord, I pray that you would find us soft and and shapeable in your hands as we grow more and more like our Savior. And Lord, we ask you this ultimately, that your name would be made great in our community, that, that there would be less and less ambiguity about your gospel. And so we ask you this, Jesus, for your namesake. Amen.